So this has been on the shelf for a while, uh, but today we're going to take it off of the shelf, and we're going to dust it off, and we're going to complete our sermon series today in the book of Haggai. Amen, somebody. Y'all seem very excited about that. Everybody's excited about Haggai today. It's all good, right? We start Christmas season next week. It'll be great, right? And so Haggai, man, um, we're dusting this off. We're going to preach the conclusion of this uh, little book, this little obscure book in the Bible. But though it's obscure, I really believe that it has a practical and relevant message for each and every one of us today. And so before we get into it, let me just um, give us a little bit of the background story so that we know where we are in the scripture today. You know, as you know, um, the children of Israel built the temple under the reign of King Solomon. Solomon, who was the third king of United Israel. And if you know anything about the if you know anything about the temple, it was the center of worship for the Jewish people. It's where they found their identity, um, where they worship Yahweh, the king, and it was a beautiful thing. But but what God was telling them throughout time is that their hearts were getting far from him. They were worshiping a lot of the surrounding gods like Baal and Dagon and a myriad of others. And God would send them these things, these people called prophets. And he would tell, the prophets would come and call them to repent. But a lot of them, a lot of times they did not respond to the call. And so God was like, listen, I'm letting you know that I'm going to allow an invasion to occur. You are going to experience punishment because of your disobedience. And we saw that that happened in 586 B.C. When King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, raided Jerusalem and they destroyed the kingdom. It was, I mean, they destroyed the temple. It was horrifying experience. Many people died in this. Like the Jewish people not only lost their temple, but they also lost their ethnic identity. And so once the Babylonian kingdom fell to, uh, fell to the Persian kingdom, the new king, whose name was Cyrus, decided that he was going to allow the Israelites to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild their lives. And so this was a really, really exciting thing. They were going to go back to their homeland. They were going to rebuild the wall, lay the foundation of the temple, and they were going to enjoy life the way God intended it. And so they get back to Jerusalem, and they see that everything is in shambles. Have you ever been free from a situation only to go back to your former life to see that everything had fallen apart? And so that's what happened. And they were like, where did all these boulders come from? What is wrong with this land? It's, it's all messed up. It's, it's, it's really, really a terrible situation. So they began to build God's house. They laid the foundations and then they started to have opposition from the Samaritan army and a number of other people. It was a, it was a bad situation. So they decided, you know what? We're going to chill. We're not going to build God's house. We're going to just focus on our houses. We're going to build our house. We're going to build our paneled houses. You know, we're going to get the crown molding and we're going to get the quartz countertops. I'm going to get the fabu wood cabinets and all that. It's going to be amazing. And so God was like, hey, I see that you're spending a lot of time building your kingdom, but you forgot about my kingdom. I see that it's nothing wrong with you having a nice house, but the wood that was supposed to be used to build the temple, you using that very same wood to build your house. I don't understand. If, you, if this was the IRS, you would be locked up by now, right? Because you're not supposed to misappropriate funds that were for religious purposes for your own personal pleasure. I don't get that. But nevertheless, there's no IRS. But I see what you're doing. I see your activity. So this is what I need you to do. I need you to take your butt up the hill, go grab the wood, bring the wood down, and I need you to build the temple. Because it's been 16 years. So they start building the temple. They're like, all right, God, cool, we got it. They start building the temple, and then things get hard, so they stop. Isn't that apropos for our lives that we think we're not in the will of God because things aren't working easily for us? We think, oh, I'm not supposed to have any opposition. Anything that you want to accomplish in life is uphill. 
including your relationship with Jesus. It's going to be difficult, but you press through it anyway because greater is he that is in you than who is in the world. And God will give you power and the encouragement that you need in order to obey his commands. And so, so, he, they, they, so, so they leave the house of God on red for 16 years. And then Haggai decided, God sent this person named Haggai, one of the prophets, and said, hey, this is what I need you to do. I need you to shake them up. Be the alarm clock that gets them out of their spiritual stupor and wake them up. So they started to build again, then they quit, right? Now, here's what I think is happening to them. If you can read between the lines of the passage or read between the lines of this book, I think what they're experiencing is something that you and I go through all the time. It's that we're trying to do what God asked us to do, but it's more time-consuming and it's more exhausting than we initially thought. Right? It's difficult, right? Many of them probably would have thought that they were better off staying in Babylon as opposed to walking in the freedom that God has for us. And let me just say the same thing that I think the children of Israel are facing in this passage is the same thing that many of us are facing in here. Like, we're trying to do things God's way. Right? You've been reading your Bible. You've been going through the Bible app. You, you're like, it's tough right now because you're going through a bunch of Ezekiel and stuff and you don't really understand it, but you're still doing it. Right? You're going through the forward, you're going through the Bible app. You're taking some time to pray. You're getting rid of addictive habits. You're trying to learn how to forgive people. You're trying to do all of these things, but your life is still falling apart. You're like, God, I've done all the things that you asked. I've went to church. I've gone to open house. I've joined a crew. I get on prayer in the morning on Wednesdays at 630, even though I got my camera off because I look a mess. I'm trying to do it your way, but I'm still underemployed. I'm still unemployed. I still don't have that spouse. I still have a broken marriage. I still struggle with anxiety. I struggle with my mental health. Jesus, if I'm honest, I had more peace in my life before you came into it. If someone would be honest with me in the building today. Because you thought that when you started rocking with Jesus, that your life would be categorically better. You thought your life would be full of blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Right. You just you just thought you'd be giving God glory for everything. But it's not a blessing. It's a big blight. It's a bunch of mess. Your friendships are fractured. Your career is in flux. And if you had an honest moment, you feel like the children of Israel that you are better off in Babylon. Nobody wants to be honest with me here today. It's OK. My wife is here. It's fine. And my daughter. Amen. You were like, man, my life is in shambles right now. God, I could be out there. When I was getting high, things were good. When I was out there with the casual hookups, meeting on Grinder and all those little apps, my life was good then. When I was partying regularly and getting drunk at the parties and blacking out, you know what? It was, I, I mean, I, I woke up in some strange places that time, but for the most part, it was good. But Jesus, if I'm honest, I had much more peace than I do now. And some of us, if we're honest, we're in that place. But there's nuance to this argument, isn't it? It's a little nuance here because if you follow that line of reasoning all the way through, what it exposes is this, is this sinister belief that many of us have in our hearts about serving God. Is that we are all right following God as long as we get the desired results. We're all right serving God as long as it seems profitable, as long as it's comfortable. As long as it doesn't cost us anything, Jesus, I will follow you. But when, the, but when the troops come to get you, 
In the garden, I'm going to flee just like the other disciples because it was, I was comfortable following you up until the point that my life was going to be taken. Right? And like many of us are going through that right now, I'll follow you, Jesus, as long as everything works out. I'll follow you as long as the blessings abound. But as soon as I get uncomfortable or it's inconvenient, I want you to know that I am done. You know what that's called, friends? That's called conditional obedience. It's conditional obedience. You and I pick and choose when to obey God based upon whether it serves our interests or not. I like how Craig Rochelle says this. We do this with Bible reading all the time, don't we? We like, you know what? I don't know where that verse is at in Jeremiah, but man, I heard it before. And I just love that he plans to prosper us and not harm us. Right. And that he's going to give us a hope for the future. Now, but we like that verse, but we don't like the other verse in Matthew where Jesus says you need to forgive your enemies. <laughs> pray for them that spitefully use you. Yeah, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray that they experience the wrath of God. <laughs> First service, really rock with that a little bit more. It's all good. We love that. We love that passage in Romans that, oh, my gosh, all things work together for the good. Oh, Yes. But we don't like that verse in Peter that tells us to be sober-minded. You be like, you know what? I'm just going to get a little tipsy. It's my birthday. I'm just going to eat it. I'm not going to smoke it, but I'm just going to have a little bit of this edible. I'm just going to enjoy the edible because, you know, the THC helps me relax. Even though I know it's a psychedelic, psychedelic drug, right, that really alters my state of mind and can really induce depression, but it really actually pushes forth my creativity. It really, it really does. Like, it makes everything better. It's just an edible, Pastor. I, I use this because I got glaucoma, and I got health issues, and it helps me with my anxiety. Lies. You do that because you like to get high. Stop lying. You like to get high. Because if, if you really were using marijuana in a way that was helpful, you wouldn't have the THC in it. Because the THC is only trying to elicit a high up out of you, whereas the other compounds do have some medicinal purposes. Let me go on here before I get yelled at by somebody online or somebody in person. It's only an edible, Pastor. It's only a rookie cookie. You know I, know, I know that passage in the Bible that talks about forgiveness, Jesus, and I really love that passage. But I don't know about the one in... For in First Thessalonians, where it talks about it's important for me to flee sexual immorality. I mean, it's just sex. I can do with my body whatever I want, right? Like, I, I, that's, sex is a form of self-expression. Like, I don't care that the Bible says that it's supposed to be done in the confines of a marriage between a man and a woman for a lifetime. It's just sex. It's just pornography. Matter of fact, it's not even pornography. It's OnlyFans. OnlyFans ain't that bad, Pastor. Conditional obedience. We like to follow God when it suits our purpose. And we use our liberty and freedom in Jesus as a cover to indulge in worldly practices that gratify our flesh. Let's just be honest about it today, church. And Jesus just lets us know. You got to realize this. Jesus does not give us options to consider. He gives us commandments to obey you might have saw this story on instagram the other day where it was a saturday and i was off and uh my wife wanted me to help 
her put together a couch. And so I told my wife, I said, baby, I don't work for you. I'm not working for you today. I'm choosing Ernest today. This is an Ernest day. I'm doing this. A few hours later, I found myself putting that couch together under my own volition, though. Right? At least I thought. It's under my own volition. Right? What my wife was doing was not giving me an option to consider. She was telling me, baby, I need you to do this. This this is something you need to do. And I say that in jest. And I say that laughing and joking. But here's what I am saying. God is not your consultant. He doesn't give you a buffet of things, of options that you can choose from. If, if he says that he wants you to be careful with your health and he wants you to have sexual purity and if he says that he doesn't want you overspending and he wants you to be a good steward of your budget and if he says he wants you serving his church, those are not options for us to consider. Those are commands that God wants us to obey. Are you hearing me, church? It's not because the church is trying to employ an army. It's not because we're trying to... T- Take the money out of your account. What we're doing is spurring you on to wholeness and following Jesus so that your life can be improved because you're following the Savior and doing what he asked. Y'all hear me, church? He's not consulting us. And you know what conditional obedience is? You know what it is? It's just regular old sin. Now, I know sin is not a popular topic in our churches now, right, because we love the purpose and the life-giving and all that. But, but that's why Christ came to the earth, to, to, to deliver us from the bondage of sin. And so let's talk about this word for a second, can we? Conditional obedience stripped down to its essence is sin. And you know what sin is? Sin is rebellion against God. It's rebellion. Do you know what rebellion means? It means when you arrogantly oppose God's ways and you conspire to take over his rightful spot. It's it's when you knock God off of the pedestal and put yourself there. It's when you love the things that God hates and you hate the things that God loves. It's when we stubbornly refuse to listen to God with the belief that we know what's best for our lives. That is how it comes. So, So let me just say, sin, conditional obedience is not like just a little slip up. It's not like I just, oh, I just messed up. No, 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 no. It's rebellion against God. It's an intentional choice, whether, whether explicit or implicit, that we decided what was best for our lives and therefore spur what God wants for our lives. Are y'all hearing me about that? So with that in mind today, let me give you a few truths about sin, okay? And I'm going to lighten the mood a little bit because some of us are looking a little tired. Here it is. Here's the first one. Sin corrupts everything. Sin corrupts everything. All right, now growing up, um, I ate a lot of spaghetti, Anybody in the building eat a lot of spaghetti? Like that was, uh, I have eaten more spaghetti in my first 10 years than the typical grown Italian man, I I would guess. Anybody been there before? You know, you've eaten a lot of spaghetti, right? Uh, And if you've eaten a lot of spaghetti about like me, you know that you put your leftovers in the same Tupperware pan. Why is that? Because uh, that spaghetti sauce stains everything. I mean, look at it right here. Look at this, right? You know, now if you come into my house, I just wanted to be known. When you come into my house and you see this container, it's clean. I've washed it. I put detergent in it. I've tried to do everything. If you have a solution for this, please let me know. I've got on Google. 
I've been on TikTok. I cannot figure out how to get that spaghetti stain out of there. You know, here's the thing about spaghetti. The reason you put it in the same Tupperware drawer or a t- Tupperware dish all the time is because it stains everything it touches. It stains everything. Whether it's your clothing, whether it's your furniture, right? Good luck getting it out of shirts. Whatever you put it in there, it stains. And what Haggai is saying in our passage today is the same thing that applies to our Tupperware applies to sin. That whatever it touches, it pollutes and it messes up. This is what he says. Look what he says in verse 12. It says, if anyone of you is carrying meat from a holy priest for a sacrifice in his robes. Now, I know you're thinking, what in the heck is that mean right there? Right? This is Haggai having a conversation with a priest. And so what he's saying is when the priest would make sacrifices which was appeasing sacrifices to divert the will of God for a temporary time. They would wear these fly robes, and then they would take the meat, which they were offering, and they would put it inside the little pocket in the robe. And Haggai is saying, if that robe, which is holy, brushes up against something that's considered unholy, does the holiness rub off on the unholy thing, or does the unholy thing rub off on the holy thing, right? So he says, like, if you think about it in context of the spaghetti, Does the cleanliness of the Tupperware make the spaghetti clean or does the spaghetti make the Tupperware clean? Does that make sense? So what he's saying, so he's saying, so they would say, no, of course, the, 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 the contaminant actually makes the thing unclean. And so he goes on, he says, and if if anyone becomes ceremonial unclean by touching a dead person, you touch the dead person and now they're unclean, this makes you unclean. And then if that person touches any of these foods, they will be defiled. The priest said, yes. So if you touched a if you touch a corpse, the cleanliness or un- quote-unquote uncleanliness of the corpse would be transmitted to the quote-unquote ceremonial clean person. So what he's trying to communicate is that sin spreads easier than holiness. He's saying that if you are sinful, if, if, he's saying if you are, are sinful and your heart is not right with God, it contaminates everything that you touch And so that's why he says in verse 14, this is how it is with this people. The nation says, the Lord, everything they do, everything they offer is defiled by sin. So he's saying that like the spaghetti sauce that defiles everything, because this nation's heart is not right with me, everything they touch is defiled. The other day I was doing pretty bad, so I uh, I was hungry, so I I went to Wendy's. I went to Wendy's. I got that little five for five baggie, just enough to hold me over. It was, it was awful. I mean, it's tons of salt. It was, but it was delicious, though. I got to tell you, it was delicious. And so I, I got that. And so I didn't feel like waiting in line so, or messing up my car. So I was like, you know, I'm going to go in and eat. It'll take five minutes. And so I grabbed my food. I went to sit down, and I noticed that all the countertops were dirty. I like, and I'm sorry, all the countertops were wet. And I was like, okay, the countertops are wet. But then I remembered that uh, when, when people often wipe down the countertops, they got a little pail with dirty water in it. And then they take that dirty water, and they wipe down one table. And then they wring it out, and then they go to the next table, the next table. So instead of cleaning the actual surface, what they're doing is they're spreading around the contaminants. Are y'all hearing me? So what was happening here with the children of Israel, like the, the children of Israel, is they were doing something very similar. They were building the temple, but because their heart wasn't right with God, they were contaminating it. They were trying to plant seeds and trying to do all these things and have a crop. But the reason that it wasn't growing is because it was contaminated with their sin. It was, they were messing up all the things around us. What I'm trying to tell us, family, is that when your heart is not right with God, everything will be wrong around you. That's what it is. 
I want to let you know that sin is not a little thing. It is a destroyer. I like how Lisa Fields says it. She says, when it's, she says, enjoying sin is like scratching your body when you have chicken pox. It feels good in that moment, but it's ultimately going to leave a mark in your life. And so what's happening is that some of us are scratching that sinful itch right now, but you don't know that eventually it's going to leave a mark and it's going to cause some sin and it's going to cause some issues in your life. And so what he's saying is, is that everything we touch when our heart is not right with God, it just causes division. Like with God, the Father, it causes us to be separated from him. It causes our souls to experience fear and negative emotion. It causes our relationships with others to, to begin to develop lack of trust. Or it, It's just really, it, it causes our, us, when we're walking in our purpose and our life, it, it causes us to use our skills and our abilities to build ourselves up and build our platform rather than God. Friends, what I'm trying to tell you is sin is sinister. And it's trying to harm everything around you. And here's what I think. Here's one thing. One of the biggest ways that sin manifests itself in our life is deep down, we have a sense of entitlement as it pertains to the blessings of God. We think if we read the Bible, if we come to church on Sunday, if we serve, if we give, that we are entitled to the blessings of God. And that is the wrong approach because, listen, friends, we don't obey God because we want him to do something for us. We obey God because we love him. We obey God because he is who he is, the creator of the heavens and the earth. The one that made us, he's the potter, we're the clay. We obey him because we love him, right? So many of us are using God to our, for our own advantage. He is a stepping stool to get what we really want. What I'm saying, friends, is we are not entitled. You know what we're entitled to? Everlasting destruction. You know what we're entitled to if we strip it all away? To be apart from God forever. The fact that God shows us any mercy at all is a true testament to his gracious character. The fact that he allows you to borrow his oxygen and that you have his skin cells and he allows you to have some measure of hair and some clothes and food on your table, right, and a home to live in. Like all of these things, God is allowing us to borrow, but yet we look at him incredulously as though he, as though he owes us anything. God don't owe you anything. He doesn't owe you anything. But he's merciful and kind. And he gives us gracious gifts because he's a good father. Just get that in your soul. So here's the second thing that sin does. Not only is, is sin uh, pervasive, but number two, sin blocks you from receiving God's blessing. It blocks you. Like we say this all the time. A lot of us say, yo, I am so blessed and I'm blessed and highly favored. And usually when we say that, we mean I'm successful or I'm healthy or my family is good, or I'm wealthy, or I've got a job. Like, like, we've all heard athletes thank God, like, oh, I had a great game. Thank you, Jesus. And that's all good. But I think a lot of times we have a small scope on what we believe the blessings of God are. But we need to widen our scope. Because let me just tell you, there is nothing, no blessing quite like a good cup of coffee. And I'm not talking about Folgers. I'm talking about the, the beans that have been harvested from the ground of hungry that's what our, our Honduras, rather, have been slowly roasted with three pumps of sugar-free vanilla syrup and with some pumpkin foam cream. That's what I'm talking about in the building. Can I mess up? I said Honduras. Jesus. Give me some grace. Give me some grace in here. That's a blessing from God. 
A night of sleep is a blessing from God. Well, you can lay your head down one moment and wake up and it's been seven hours. That's a blessing from God. When you have a great conversation with a friend and you laugh so hard that your gut is sore, that's a blessing from God. When your car starts in the morning, when you swipe that debit card and you know it ain't a lot in that thing and so you do that little lean like, and it says approve, you be like, ha ha, hey shata. That's my tongues. That's my tongues. Try that out there. Those are blessings from God. And listen, there's nothing wrong with desiring the blessings of the Lord because he wants to give his children good gifts. If you as earthly fathers and parents know how to give your kids good gifts, surely God in heaven knows how to give us good gifts. And he stands there like a proud parent at Christmas time, like she don't even know she's getting that gift. <laughs> it's saying us unwrap it. That God delights to do those type of things. But you block God from blessing you when you engage in conditional obedience or have a chronic pattern of sin in your life. Y'all didn't laugh at that too much. <laughs> chronic pattern. He says, he says in verse 15, he says, look at what's happening to you before you began to lay the foundation of the temple. Now, now, now let's go back for a second. You remember when they were laying the foundation of the temple in chapter 1? Right before that, they were building their homes. And they were focusing on their kingdoms. And then this is what God says in chapter, in verse, in chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. Basically, like you're drinking, but you're, not, but you're still thirsty. You're eating, but you're not full. You're putting your money into pockets with holes in them. In other words, you got all these investments, and you done did crypto, and you put your money in ETFs and all this stuff, and it still ain't working out. You've been saving your money, and as soon as you get a check-in, next thing you know, your car breaks down. You've been saving this money and trying to get that new furniture in your home. And as soon as you save up enough money, the IRS hits you up and say, hey, you owe a few dollars. That's what he's saying is happening to them. They're accumulating all this wealth, but it's not amounting to much. They're consuming everything that they had. They're working their tail off, but they're not getting ahead. And at that point, somebody, what we often say is, you know what? I just got to grind harder. I just got to work harder. I just got to put more effort in, right? But God is saying like, hey, it's not your enemies or haters that's hindering your success. It's me. It's me. Because when you hope for 20 bushels, verse 16, when you hope for 20 bushels of crop, you only harvest at 10. And if you apply that today, it's like you were expecting to have a bigger tax return than you had, but you had much less because you had to make some payments. And he's like, you expected 50 gallons of wine, but you only had 20. And so some of us are like, man, God is standing in the way. You might be like, you know what? I don't like that picture of God. Why is God standing in the way of me being successful? I'm working my tail off. I'm trying to do the best that I can. I'm working diligently, and it seems like God is opposing me. Why would he do something like that? Well, he tells us his reasons in verse 17. He said, I sent blight and mildew and hell to destroy everything you worked so hard to produce. See, I like that. God just takes credit for it. He's like, don't blame your haters. Don't blame your boss. It's me. It's me that's messing it up. And the reason I'm messing it up is because it's the only way that I can get your attention. The only way I can get you pulled away from that toxic relationship is by touching your money. The only way that I can get you to deal with your patterns of sin in your life is by hurting the relationships around you. The only way that I can really get your attention is by hurting you where it hurts. Yeah. 
and now. He says, he said, it's me. I know you worked hard on that, but it's me that's hindering you. Why are you doing it? Then he says this, even so, you refuse to return to me, says the Lord. The reason I'm doing this is not because I'm trying to punish you or not because I'm heavy-handed. It's not because I'm a hard-driving God. It's because I want you to return to me. I want you to come back to me. I want you to turn your heart toward me, accept me lovingly, and allow me to change your life. And some of us are like, well, I don't, I don't like that. But let me just tell you something. <laughs> you would do the same thing. Anybody have children in the building here for a second? You don't have to raise your hand. Only a handful of you. Okay, cool, cool. Let's just imagine for a second you sent your child to this thing called college. And they're up there racking up debt, college debt, right? And matter of fact, they're spending your money. And so they're away at college, but then you find out that they've been partying your money away. And they've been drinking your money away. And you've been, you've been furnishing this lavish lifestyle. Meanwhile, they aren't doing any of the things that they're supposed to be doing in college. They're not getting the right grades. Or maybe they went to tech school. They just took your money. And they're just using it for nefarious things. What's the first thing you would have done? You would have cut that source off. Would you not? We would have cut it off. Why? Because they're living in a way that does not represent the ideals of your household. You're like, if you are going to spend my money then you are going to live in a way that's in alignment with how I want you to live. And God is saying the same thing. I'm not going to finance your rebellion. I'm not going to finance your idolatry. Well, God, I thought you were going to bless me with this. No, I can't because your heart is not right. Because if I give you that spouse that you want right now, you're going to idolize them and think that they're better than me. Like if I give you that, like, let me just tell you, a spouse is not an antidote for loneliness. It ain't. It's not because you can be married and still be lonely, right? A spouse is a person that comes alongside you to accomplish the goals and tasks that God has for you, of course. But if you're lonely, guess what? Join a crew. Join a crew. Get you some friends. We got crews starting in January. Join a crew. Serve on a team. A spouse is not going to solve your loneliness issue. Eve was not created because Adam was lonely. Adam was complete and whole, working out his purpose in the garden. And God said, it's not, her, it's not helpful for you to be alone. I'm going to give you a help meet for you. And you're going to accomplish and extend the kingdom of God at a faster rate than you would by yourself. It ain't because he's lonely. I don't even know what I was talking about. I don't know. I don't know how that connected. But all I'm saying is, back to what I was saying, God is not going to finance your rebellion. He's not. But God, I want to be blessed and I want this and I want that. Why? So it can destroy your soul? You'll be like, God, I want more money. Why? So you can continue to not be generous? God, I, God, I, I want this. I, I want more skills and ability, and I want a platform. Why? So you can draw attention to yourself, so you can get your Instagram followers and build your platform, and you tell people about the gospel according to you, but don't tell people about the gospel according to Christ. I'm not with that. All I'm trying to do is tell somebody, like, like God is not going to finance or endorse you living in a way that's not in alignment with him. He's not. And so if, and, but the beautiful thing about him is he's saying, if, if some of these things are happening to you, blame me. And he's saying, blame me. And then come talk to me about it because I want you to return your heart back to me. Let me go to the last one. Here's the third one. I got four minutes and 16 seconds. If you give your, if you give him your heart, he promises to bless you. 
If you give him your heart, this is what he says. Everything, even though the temple is not finished, even though they didn't do everything just yet, he's saying, I'm giving you a promise that now is the time to build a temple. Let me just, say, let me just talk about building a temple real quick. Building a temple meant they had to go up to the hill, cut down some wood, bring the wood down, and then they had to construct it together, right? Let me just let you know that that was not an easy task. So what, that, what I'm saying is God calls us to do hard things, not the convenient, easy things. He said, if you want to see your life transform, I need you to build this temple. And what I'm saying is, he's saying, now is the time to build it. And I'm just letting somebody know in here, now is the time for you to get your heart right with God. Now, it's, it's today. It's today. I'm not trying to bully you into the kingdom, but what I am saying is that it's time for you to stop justifying and rationalizing your sin. It ain't your daddy's fault because he wasn't present that you act the way you do toward other people. It's time for you to take accountability for your sin and allow your heavenly father to heal the broken areas in your life, not blame your spouse for provoking you to that. Are y'all hearing me today? It's time to stop blame shifting. It's not the driver next to you that calls you to cuss them out and tell them off. It's you. It's the sin in your heart that Jesus wants to heal and fix, church. Jesus is tired of you giving him lip service. He's tired of you saying that your heart is close to him, but in reality, it's really far away from him. He's tired of you spending all your effort and energy building your house, and there's nothing wrong with having a nice house. Get the fabu cabinets. Go ahead and get the nice quartz. Go ahead and get the groutless tile floors. Go on and get it. Get the laminate floors, but realize that you investing in your house is not, impo- not as important as you invested in God's house because your house doesn't lead to eternal salvation. Your house is only a conduit where people get, get connected. The house of God is what he's equipped you for. Are y'all hearing me today? It is time, church. It's time to stop being on the fence about your faith in Jesus. Are you accepting him or are you rejecting him? Is he the Lord of your life or is he your consultant? Are you a cultural Christian that just wants to do this temporarily when it works best for you? Are you going to fully devote your life to Jesus and walk this out knowing that come what may, he's got your back? What are you going to do, church? I'm just just asking because some of us need to have a, a come to Jesus moment. It is time. It's time for you to take your faith in Jesus seriously and stop acting like he is a a purse in the cabinet or in the closet that you pick up that aligns or that goes with how you look. No, it's something that we carry all the time. Church, I'm just saying. But he promises you that if you do this, I will bless you. Look what he says. He said, but from this day on, even though nothing is built, even though the temple's not built, I will bless you. Even though you didn't plant a seed, I promise you that you will have a harvest. Do you see that? Church, what he's saying is, y'all haven't built the temple. He's saying, I'm going to bless you. You know why? Because I want your heart. Because your heart is turned back to me. Now, when we say that, I know sometimes in churchy circles, we're like, what does it mean to really give your heart to Jesus? Right? To, To give your heart to Jesus, this is what it means. It means you live in a way in which you accept his leading, his loving, and you follow him the where he's leading you to go. Accepting Jesus in your heart is returning to him, recognizing that your ways of living is not the way that leads to eternal life. 
is recognizing that Jesus is Lord of your life. It's recognizing humbly and honestly that, God, I am trapped in sin. I'm trapped in my self-indulgence. I'm conditionally disobedient. And eventually that conditional disobedience, which is sin, results in eternal punishment. But when you put your faith in Christ Jesus, the resurrected Savior, the one, as you hear me say every week, left the comforts of heaven to come into the chaos of earth, to take on the punishment that you and I deserve, and to, and to experience sin from the past, present, and future. When I put my faith and my trust in him, what he does is he saves me by his grace. When I trust the fact that he died and that he resurrected three days later, and not only did he do that, but he paid for my sin on the cross, I'll never know how much it costs to see my sins upon that cross. I'll I'll never understand that. But when you turn away from your sins and you turn to Jesus, that's when we begin to submit our lives to him. And we enjoy being with the resurrected Savior. So here's, here's what I'm saying today, church. Sin contaminates everything. It does. It's like that spaghetti pot. I legitimately had that in my house. And we can't get the stain out. But I know that there's some type of cure on TikTok that can get deep into the pores of that Tupperware dish and remove those stains that I couldn't get out on my own. And I want to let you know is that Jesus does something similar. He reaches into the core of our soul and with his blood, he washes us white as snow. And he's in the process of removing all of that sin from our lives so that we can look more and more like him in eternity. And so now when we put our faith in Christ, We're not just looking to go to some esoteric heaven. No, we're looking for the power of heaven to come down into earth and see people who are far away from Jesus come to meet him. And so I'm I'm done, but every eye closed and every head bowed. I just want us to take a moment and just kind of reflect. What area in your life are you being rebellious to God against right now? Who aren't you forgiving? Who's the person that hurts you so deeply and you can't imagine life, a life of forgiving them? What habit do you have right now that you know is causing your life to be in chaos, but you refuse to give it up? What are you looking for joy in? when you should be looking for it in Jesus. Just take a moment and talk to the Holy Ghost about it. And I'm going to pray for you. Father, we come to you in this moment recognizing that we have not always put you in a proper place in our lives. We have valued, treasured, and put onus in other things other than you, Jesus. And Father, we come recognizing that right now in our, in our lives. But Lord, we want to be deeply healed and we want to be fixed. And we want to experience joy. We want to experience new life in you. And so we pray that you would heal us right now. And if that's you today and you're living rebelliously, I just want you to re- repeat this prayer after me. You don't have to, but if you desire, Lord Jesus. I've been living rebelliously. There are some things in my life that I refuse to let go. 
but I give them to you right now, Jesus. Heal me, transform me, and help me live a life that's honoring to you because I want to be made new. Lord, I honor you and I thank you in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that, why don't you say amen and give the Lord some praise in this building today.